Welcome to the final episode of season one of the Meaning in Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Permar, and today we're going to be reviewing the book, Becoming the Parent You Want to Be by Laura Davis and Janice Kaiser. I found this book in a little free library in Seattle, Washington, where I used to live. The nice thing about Tacoma and Seattle is they both have these little free libraries all over the city where you can just leave books that you're finished with and pick up books for free that someone else has decided that they need some room in their bookshelf for a new book. So they're leaving it for you. I found some great books in there and some that I just put right back. I was walking with my brother and when I picked it up, I said, yes, this is the book I want to have because I had just found out that I was pregnant. And I just love the word becoming. It's so poetic. Becoming the parent you want to be. That's exactly what this podcast is all about. In any case, my brother scoffed and said, you can't judge a book by its title, but actually it turned out to be a really charming little book that I would definitely recommend. It deals with all kinds of wonderful topics, including tantrums and children's feelings, to cultivating a spirit of optimism about your children, learning about children, creating a supportive community for yourself, toilet training, sexual issues, learning about bodies, eating, etc. So it has it all. I haven't completely finished it because I've been slowly working through it as a nice bedtime read for when I need something just to make me feel good. So it really is a nice feel-good book. Helps you feel like everything's going to be okay even when they're dealing with scary issues. It also has lots of really cute uh, black and white pictures of different families and different children. Lots of different ethnicities and um, circumstances are represented here. But it's just really kind of nice to have these little pictures of children kind of remind you what they're talking about when they have uh, things to say about children at different ages. So I'll just give you one little tidbit from the book. This is from the chapter on being human. And it's called Modeling Healthy Responses to Mistakes. It says, children watch us carefully. Through our example, we can teach them how to deal with their mistakes. It's more important than the fact that we made a mistake. Acknowledge your mistakes. Recognizing our own mistakes is the first step. Modeling that mistakes are manageable. If we made an error, we might respond by saying, oh no, I made a mistake. I'll never do that again. Then we teach our children that mistakes are insurmountable. If on the other hand, we say, well, that didn't work. I guess I'll have to figure out a different way. We give our children an incredible statement of optimism. That's significant for a child who's going to learn through mistakes for their entire lifetime. They then go through a bunch of other steps, including talking to your inner critic, apologizing, taking steps to avoid the mistake, etc. So it seems like common sense, but sometimes it's nice to just see your common sense in writing if you've forgotten it especially when you're sleep deprived. They also include lots of little stories and tidbits that are kind of an aside or an illustration of what the point that they're trying to make. Really nice things uh, to help you understand the concepts more clearly. This book was published in 1997, so it's a little bit of an oldie bit of goodie. And it's kind of interesting just flipping through it now. I'm realizing that a lot of our more trendy parenting strategies right now, you know, including hand in hand and rye parenting and a lot of other ones, have a lot of uh, sentiments that are echoed in this uh, classic book. So if you're looking for a book, I'm sure you could find it for very inexpensively on Amazon. I love uh, used books that sometimes you can get for as little as 89 cents and you just have to pay a few dollars for shipping. So if you're looking for a nice kind of catch-all book on parenting, Becoming the Parent You Want to Be by Laura Davis and Janice Kaiser is definitely one worth checking out. 
Today's episode is going to be a little bit different just because it is the final episode in season one of the Meaning and Motherhood podcast. I am a little bit sad to be ending this season and I hadn't exactly planned uh, an eight week season, um, but partly I just needed to take a little break. We are moving at the end of this month. My little bub is reaching six months old and she is just on fire. Um, I've had a little bit of complications with just, you know, being away from her for a certain amount of time. She's getting older. Um, she's sleeping almost through the night, which is wonderful. Although last night she was up for a considerable amount of the night, but she has been sleeping a lot longer. And just overall, I'm having a harder time producing as much breast milk for her. So we've had some challenges with that. And that's just made me feel that I really want to spend more time with her. She is so charming and lovely. And I just want to spend as much time with her as possible. I've got another work project going as well right now. And so all of my free time that I have to work needs to be dedicated to that because that is a big part of our family game plan moving forward. So the Meaning in Motherhood podcast is dear and near to my heart, but it is going to have to go on the shelf for a few months until I get some of these other things sorted and then I will definitely come back. But I am happy, happy, happy to hear your feedback. If you want to hear more of one subject, less of other subjects, if you think it's totally disorganized and but you would love to hear me talk more <laughs> about whatever, um, please do send me a message at Instagram. I know I'm not been super um, active there right now because it's just not um, my go-to medium, uh, but it is something that I'm checking for messages about this podcast specifically. So if you have any feedback for me, I'm very happy to hear that and I will put it into use the next season. So for today, I've got a couple things that I just really wanted to share with you, um, one of which is some relationship advice or sort of resources for you, I guess we'll say. Um, I just was about to sit down and do my podcast and my husband and I got in a small argument. Um, we really have such a good relationship, I can't even believe it sometimes, um, that we, you know, we kind of got into this thing where I wanted him to watch the baby while I did the podcast right before he left for work and you know, I'm feeling stressed and pressured to try and get this podcast done by Wednesday. He's feeling, you know, stressed and pressured to do his things and get to work on time. And he likes to get to work super early. And then we kind of talked about this on episode one, the idea that I want to control his time. Whenever I see him available, I'm like, oh, you can hold the baby. You don't have a baby in your hands and I need to go do some work. So you take the baby and I'll see you later. That's kind of my attitude. Um, I just am a really good delegator and good manager and I just like want to put people to work all the time. But of course, when it's my husband and sometimes he has things he wants to do or, you know, his needs is like he, he likes to get to work earlier than he needs to because it makes him feel anxious to get there late. I am totally the opposite. I'm always like squeaking in right at the last second. So I would prefer to infringe upon his showing up early time to get some more uh, work time done. In any case, that is what our argument was about. And we just kind of got into this, like, you know, I'm holding the baby and he's feeling guilty that he's not holding the baby. You're not helping me. But then, you know, I know he's trying to rush to get ready. So it's like this friction starts to happen. And ultimately, we both just kind of let go of our positions. H happily, the baby fell asleep right away. So that was a blessing. So we had a few minutes to talk it out before he did have to leave for work. So Baby Lou got to go take her little nap and such a darling she is and she's sleeping pretty good right now. So hopefully I'll be able to get through the podcast without her waking up. And we just got to sit down and say, you know, 
here's why I'm feeling stressed and pressured. Here's why I'm feeling stressed and pressured. And let's, you know, support each other and just give each other a big hug before you have to leave. So reconnecting in that way was so awesome. And we both end up feeling better because we've released some of our pent up stress and emotion. Um, And we feel more connected to each other. So ultimately, I just feel like our relationship is really strong. And whenever we go through a challenge, like we will have those kind of moments of friction, but we always come out of it on the other side, happier and more connected, which is just such a blessing. But I will tell you, I have not always been this Zen relationship guru, you know, (laughs) I have been through a lot of therapy and things, as I've mentioned before, um, I worked with a dating and relationships coach for six years before I met my husband. Uh, I did not meet him through that coach. I had stopped working with him for about two years right before I met my husband. But uh, all that work that I did of going through dates and being ruthless about weeding out even, you know, very small negative red flags with people and just keep making sure that I'm not wasting my time because there was a point in time, you know, where it was just fun to date and, you know, meet different people and, But ultimately, you know, I was turning down a lot of people because I didn't want to throw away two years of my life. I mean, I hate to say this, but childbearing years with somebody who had a red flag in the first date or whatever. So when I met my husband, I was pretty picky and I was pretty um, ready to, you know, run away if that was what was needed. But he really, really struck me as, you know, such a kind person and so perfect for me in terms of keeping me grounded and everything but also you know having a good relationship strategy and support um is has been super useful so we both you know we have similar goals and we have similar values and all those things and those are really important but i've also spent so so much time reading john gray so that's the big resource i'm going to offer today is john gray author of men are from mars women are from venus I have literally read every book that he's written, and he's written like 15 to 20 books, um, a lot of books. There are some really great ones that are not about relationships, and those include Practical Miracles for Mars and Venus and What You Feel You Can Heal. So those are both great books. There's a little book called Mars and Venus Together Forever, which is a really sweet book about how to have a happy marriage. One that I read multiple, multiple times during those six years of working with the dating coach is called Mars and Venus on a Date. And that was like my dating manual. I used to listen to it on an audiobook. And, you know, I said to John Gray, I met John Gray because I actually went to a seminar of his right when I met my husband. I was already signed up for this seminar and it was so great. He was so nice in person and so charming and sweet and everything that you would want him to be. And, uh, I said, you know, I listen to you in my car whenever I'm driving long distances. You just keep me company. And he was like, oh, that's so nice to hear. You know, and I said, thank you for doing all the audiobooks yourself. Because um, to me, that that's important. But anyway, he's just such a sweetheart and so calming to listen to on tape. The classic Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus is great. Uh, there is a book called How to Get What You Want and Want What You Have, which is also very sweet. And his most recent from the Mars and Venus series is called Beyond Mars and Venus. And it talks a lot about uh, health tips. So he's kind of branched out from, you know, relationship specific tips to like health tips in general. And so in this book, he actually talks a lot about like how to eat 
for your cycle. So as a woman, you know, you have this hormonal cycle and I know it's kind of like not cool to talk about, but he talks a lot about like when, you know, what emotions you would feel during what stages of your cycle. And if your husband knows where you are in your cycle, he can try and plan to, you know, surprise you with something happy on the days when it's going to be the most impactful for you. And maybe, you know, avoid bringing up topics that are going to upset you during uh, other days in the cycle. My husband didn't really like planning things like that, but I thought it was kind of a cool thing that, you know, uh, could help somebody out. Um, he's also got a health book called Staying Focused in a Hyper World, and that has tons of health tips that are just like, you know, really extreme kind of. You could go in terms of treating autism or something like that, some kind of um, debilitating full body, you know, experience. Uh, John Gray actually has Parkinson's disease, but he has no symptoms of Parkinson's disease because he's uh, done so much of this health stuff. So talking a lot about supplements, done a lot of um, like hot baths. Uh, he talks about doing really, really hot baths as like a potential cure for cancer. Now, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not recommending that you do that to cure cancer, but that is something that he re recommends. So in case you haven't um, gotten in touch with John Gray, uh, and you like me and you trust my uh, work so far, um, I would recommend John Gray. He is just an awesome, awesome resource for so many problems in relationships and in life. Some kind of sneaky little tips that I've gotten from him uh, just from his Mars and Venus books are about how to talk to men. So for example, um, men prefer to be asked, would you do this or would you do that? Will you do that? Rather than could you? Because if they hear, you know, could you change the light bulb? That sounds like, yeah, I could change a light bulb. I'm a big, strong man. I can change a light bulb, you know. Um, but would you change a light bulb is like, okay, it's a favor for my wife. Yes, I would. And also, would you do it right? You know, would you do this now kind of adds that element of like, am I willing to do it right now as a favor to my wife? I will add that my husband did not like it when I said, uh, will you do me a favor? Because that means that he's like pre-committing to a thing and he has no idea what it is that he's committing to because <laughs> it could be something really small like get me a glass of water or it could be like, could you go to Home Depot and build me a dresser, <laughs> which he wouldn't do. But we didn't like that kind of manipulative language. So we stopped doing that and we started saying, uh, you know, will you get me a glass of water? And then it's easy for him to say yes or no to that. Um, but yes, will and would is something that John Gray talks about as making a huge difference. And I, I think it does. You know, I do ask for a lot of help. Um, that's another thing that he says is that, you know, men cannot read your minds. They need to be asked to help and you as the woman need to be supported. And so asking for help is really important just for, you know, making sure that you're getting what you need in your relationship. Another thing he says is that men don't really have it in their heads to uh, have like a daily task of, you know, some kind of household chore. Like it just falls out of their head to be, you know, the person who um, hangs up towels or whatever, or like folds clothes or something that's on a daily routine. But if you ask them to do something as a favor to you uh, on a specific day, they will likely do it. So I always say to my husband, you know, would you take out the trash today? 
And so it's, would you take out the trash today? So rather than giving him a job, I'm giving him like a specific task to do today rather than giving him something that's going to be like ongoing that he's going to have to remember on his own. And I know this is just sounding like manipulative and weird, but really like there are things that women do that, um, that he talks about as well. That's, you know, it's not just one way, but these are just ways that to talk to a man that helps him to, uh, do the things that you need him to do and to communicate in a way that's not frustrating for both of you. So that's just something that has been helpful for me is to ask for specific things to be done on a specific day. He also says, if your husband doesn't do it, you shouldn't get mad. You should just ask him again. And likely he's going to remember that he didn't do it. And then he will feel a little bit guilty and then be more motivated to do it. But as long as you remain sweet, if you get grumpy with him and try and, you know, be angry and force him to do it through anger, then he's going to resist. But if you just kind of gently remind again, instead of saying, oh, I already told you to take out the trash, you can just say, oh, would you take out the trash? You just ask them again, but you don't tell them that you're telling them again, if that makes sense. Another thing he mentions is that basically uh, women are sort of evolutionarily afraid of men when they're angry. So even if your husband would never hurt you, which my husband would never do, just when he gets angry, I get scared. It's like not conscious. It's a body feeling, you know, I get tense and I get scared. So if he's going to get angry, he needs to go in his own space and get angry. Whereas I can get angry all he wants and he's not going to feel threatened really. And that's not to say that, you know, spousal abuse doesn't occur from women to men. It's just not an innate thing. You know, if a man gets mad, you need to end the conversation and let him have some space. It's perfectly good to take some space when you're having an argument and your husband gets mad or if you're getting mad. I mean, just taking some time is not a big deal, but he says it's a good idea. If you're a man and you want to reassure your woman, you're going to say, hey, you know, I'm taking some time, but I'll be back. He says those three little words, I'll be back, are a huge deal for a woman to know okay, I've made him mad. I'm ups- I've upset him. You know, he's going to go take some time for himself. He's going to go do some activity, maybe, you know, go and drive or, you know, go work on his shop or whatever things, work on a car or whatever he's doing. But, um, you know, just knowing that he'll be back. So if he's, you know, rushing out the door, you can say, I get you that you get to have some space. Can you just say to me, I'll be back. The other thing I wanted to share from you is just a little tidbit. It is not from John Gray, but it's actually from Brighton Baby, which I talked about on the birth and bonding uh, episode. This is by Roy Dittman. It's called Brighton Baby. It is a huge book filled with all kinds of fertility tips, basically, and how to improve your chances of having a really healthy baby. But in the back of this book, he talks about your relationship because having a baby or being relaxed and stress-free enough to get pregnant and feeling safe to get pregnant is going to be improved by having a good relationship. So one thing he mentions in there is called a moon kiss, which we have implemented in our relationship. So whatever I'm feeling anxious and stressed out, I just say, I need a moon kiss. And my husband will come and give me a little moon kiss. So I'll tell you what a moon kiss is. It is basically... You kiss the woman on the back of her hands, on the back of her neck, on each cheek, and on the lips. And that, uh, apparently, he says, a woman will often be ready to have sex and will also feel like a wave of joy and relaxation upon receiving a moon kiss. And so, you know, we sometimes will do it just like very 
um, in kind of a silly thing. So if I'm feeling stressed out and I'm feeling worried, I'll just say, I need a moon kiss. And he'll say, do you need it? And I'll say, yes, I need it. You know, it's like a bit silly and ridiculous, but he'll come over and he'll kiss the back of my hand or he'll kiss the back of my neck. But he normally doesn't do like a big sloppy kiss or anything, just like a little kiss, a little peck on each cheek and uh, a peck on the lips and it is honestly it does relax me and it does make me feel happy so I know it's a bit ridiculous but the moon kiss um, even the lightness of how we kind of talk about the moon kiss as something that he can do to help me feel better I think that does make him feel empowered when I'm feeling stressed and anxious that there is something that he can do that's practical because sometimes I'll tell him you know you just being here makes me feel better but also, having something that physically that he can do that makes me feel less stressed is really important. Back to a John Gray thing he recommends that's similar is just to do a four-second hug. He says four four-second hugs a day will improve your relationships greatly. So the idea of, you know, when your husband comes home, when he leaves for work, um, right before bed or whatever, like you just do four four-second hugs and let yourself fully relax in the middle there. And it really does that oxytocin really, really helps to make you feel a little bit better. So I know this topic isn't exactly about parenting. Um, and I know that it's kind of silly to do on our last episode, but I just had some things that again, I've been sitting on this, you know, I've been working with these tools for so, so long and to share them with you and help you out to maybe feel a little bit better in your relationship. Um, or have some resources to do that is really, really awesome. I was originally planning to talk about working at home or working mothers during this podcast. I will tell you I'm having a little bit of stress about that, of course, because I want to be there with my daughter and I want to support stay-at-home mothering as a profession, as a legitimate thing to choose. You know, my own father was saying at a dinner that we had last year, Oh, you know, kind of rolling his eyes and saying, well, so-and-so is just a stay-at-home mom. And I found it really offensive. And I sort of said to him, look, like I might be a stay-at-home mom. It's a legitimate thing to do. And we need to support people in feeling, you know, that it's a positive contribution. It's not just all about like folding dirty socks. And, you know, as uh, the host of the Hand in Hand Parenting podcast would say, she says, it's not just about being a quesadilla maker. It's about creating meaning in our role as mothers. So yes, um, as much as I want to be a stay-at-home mom for the reason of like politically supporting that as a legitimate choice, um, right now in our family, we just kind of got this plan where uh, we are going to create a business that is going to support my husband and I to both kind of work from home and be working part-time so that we can both be involved in our children's lives and in our home life in a really, really important way and to allow us to homeschool and have him be part of the homeschool and all these wonderful things that will happen in like two or three years time. And so right now um, we are kind of putting me to work a little bit, trying to get that business rolling. And it is stressful because baby Lou, you know, she's growing fast and I feel so guilty when, you know, she bumps her head and I'm not there to soothe her and coo and, and feed her and all that stuff. Or, you know, the fact that I'm producing a little bit less breast milk right now than she needs and she needs to be supplemented. We're not using formula, but we're using bone broth and we're using egg yolk and things to supplement her with. And those things are awesome and awesome for her. But 
it makes me feel guilty still just the fact that I'm not able to produce enough for her and everything she needs and she's hungry you know she's still she's sucking away and she's not getting everything she needs and so that makes me feel just awful and that's one of the reasons I'm stepping away from the podcast for a little bit is to really focus on you know my work time is for this goal of starting the small business for us and my other time is for her and as much as I want the Meaning in Motherhood podcast to grow and grow and I believe that it will at a later date uh, for right now I do need to step away from it but it has been a real pleasure for me to do the podcast to learn that I can do it and that I want to do it and to maybe hopefully touch a few lives and a few uh, people out there just make them feel a little bit better or offer them a few resources or whatever it is um, so if you have anything at all, please, please do send me a message at Meaning in Motherhood on Instagram. I'm not going to be super active there just because, honestly, taking pictures is not my thing. I'm more of a writer than a picture taker, so I'm not going to be, you know, the all-star on Instagram right now. But I will be checking it for messages. I'm very happy to hear feedback about what you liked or what you didn't like about the podcast. If you did like it, you know, go back and listen to them all. And leave me a five-star rating and review. And I will see you in season two of the Meaning and Motherhood podcast.